Welcome to the Psychosphere. I'm David Sutcliffe, and my guest today is my good friend Amy Falchuk. Amy is a former Washington, D.C. lobbyist turned core energetics practitioner. And for those of you who don't know, core energetics is a somatic, somatic meaning of the body, psychotherapy. Amy and I met while we were both studying at the Core Energetics Institute in New York. And in today's episode, we attempt to psychologically deconstruct all things coronavirus. Please enjoy my conversation with Amy Falchuk. How are you holding up with this whole coronavirus situation? Um, I, 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 you know, I've become this sort of, uh, I, I fall between two polar uh, opposites of being completely cynical and trusting nobody and being completely gullible and believing anything anyone tells me. <laughs> and so, which I've heard are the characteristics of paranoia. Really? Is, yeah. Yeah. It's well, like how it's can a, we not be in a state of paranoia when all of the information from every source, including the institutional sources, it's suspect and it changes all the time? Well, it has to change all the time because it's a, it's a, to some extent, it's a, it's a, it's an evolving. We're learning as we go, so you, there, you have to have enough mental and emotional flexibility to be able to tolerate the ongoing, changing nature of it. Where I find, where I find it challenging is that the 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 disagreement about how to approach this is so contradictory. It's not like there's. It, it, I don't is totally. It? Well, what are we going to stay in lockdown forever? I mean, everybody knows we got to go back eventually. It's like, it's just about when, isn't it? it? It's about when, and it's, I think it's about how, how, and then I think it's about what does it look like once it's done, but it's all tainted by people's politics. It's like people get attached to a point of view and it, it, nobody's reasonable or rational. You can't, you can't actually talk about it with any, anybody because it's all tied to Trump. It's all tied to the politics. And I don't think anybody's really rational about it. Do you? I mean, do I don't you get think the on an, Do you think on an individual level that they're in? I think people are generally self-interested in staying alive. And so this is the one time in a, in a political debate where it's like, oh, this actually really directly affects me. So I'm right. going to actually not try to fall into groupthink. I think the, I think the challenge mm. with groupthink right now is that, is that everyone's afraid. And so there's nothing more uh, opportune than fear, right? There's no more of an opportunity to sort of get people to believe a certain thing than when they're afraid. Yeah, I guess there's people who are afraid of the virus. They're afraid they're going to die from it. They're afraid of the consequences of it. And there's people who are afraid of their civil liberties being violated and that the government and other institutions are going to use this as an opportunity to... uh, take more control of things, which is what they've done in the past. This is the pattern. Well, I, but I also would argue there's a third party, which is sort of, I think, a generally reasoned group of people who say, who do say, we don't want the cure to be worse than the virus, who do say, like, there's yeah. got to be, there's got to be a way to protect and also continue on. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's the camp that, that I'm in. And at a certain point, you have to, you have to take a risk. We have to take a risk and go back and see what happens. I like Naval Ravikant's. He's like, if you're under 45, you go back. 
Under 45, it, it's very low, low, low death rate. Under 45 without any kind of complications. And that you isolate the more vulnerable people of the society, which, you know, I mean, it's, is it fair? No, it's not fair. But if I was one of the more vulnerable people of the society, I wouldn't want the entire society to shut down just for me. I'd be like, okay. I, mean, I agree. But, but I will say that I do, and this is where I struggle. I do think we're early enough in this pandemic that we may not know enough in terms of the, the pathogen to be able to make that kind of decision. Like, and I don't know when that will be. Right, but the consequences of staying in lockdown, first of all, we don't know the mental health issues that this is going to cause. I mean, I'm fucking going crazy over here, right? And and I'm reasonably sane and I'm in a perfect situation. Yeah. And I'm already cracking up. I can't imagine if you're in some little apartment in New York City with three kids. Yes, no, The long-term ramifications of that. The uptick of like anxiety screenings and depression screenings and calls to crisis teams are up significantly, which would make sense. But then you also worry about people who have severe mental illness who aren't getting their treatment, who are are confined now in their homes, right? Who may not be able to get their medication. Like it's a problem. Well, and you hear that uh, the UN just said 200,000 children are going to die because of this uh, economic shutdown. And millions more will be thrust into poverty. You know, we're about to enter some great depression and how many people are going to die or are going to suffer because of that. And we, so we have to weigh all of that. And obviously it's impossible. For, you're never going to get it right. It, there's too many variables to know. There's too many unknowns. But it just, it does seem like we need to, we need, I just feel my gut is like, we've got to start going back and see what happens. But what do you, from that position, what are you assuming the driver is of those who are saying total lockdown? Fear. So you think it's fear? So you I don't think, think it's any kind of agenda. You think it's that, that they're fear, they don't know what to do, and so they're going to the strongest possible restriction. I think they're, I think they're legitimately afraid. I, think, I, think, I don't think it's completely nonsensical. I understand their point of view. However, based on recent history... A lot of people out there, if Trump says white, they say black. So when he says we got to go back, I'm a little bit suspicious that there's a certain segment of the population, including every single person on CNN, who's just going to react the opposite because historically that's what they've done. So I'm a little suspicious of the motivations that are underneath the we need to stay locked down. And also because the response is often what you want old people to die. It's like, dude, dude. Okay. Well, what I guess that it's like, what's the, the I, 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 it, it's almost like there's two questions to answer. One is like, what's the practical next step? How do we handle this? And then what are the larger like, what is this? You talked about civil liberties. You talked about fear. You talk about sort of like, what are the what are the bigger questions that are that this is that this is raising in terms of decision making or in terms of groupthink or in terms of sort of risk or relative risk or how much risk we want to live in or you know I don't know and maybe it's not maybe we're not in a place where we can answer any of those questions and maybe the question just really is what is the what is the next step but what's making that next step problematic is that you've got these two groups or maybe three, but again, you've got these two groups of thinkers who think, send them all out there, start this economy going, you know, let's take the risk and the no stay in your house until the end of June, July, August, we'll never play a baseball game again. 
Like, I don't know where to sit. I don't know where, if you're a person just sitting at home and you're listening to both of those arguments, what do you do? How do you make a decision? Well, you probably have, there has to be some compromise both ways. I, I think it is like we have to send some people back. Obviously, maybe not in New York City right now, but there's certain places like Los Angeles, California. We're not getting hit that hard. Do we need to be in lockdown? You know, generally people are in their cars. There's not a lot of social interaction anyway. You know, maybe you start to let certain businesses uh, come back and 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 track it and, and see what happens. You know, I, it, it's also the impact that this is having on people who uh, low income workers who are paycheck to paycheck, who don't work in front of the computer, don't work from home. I mean, that's a real thing. I mean, I, I'm fortunate where a lot of the work that I do is online. So I have I've been impacted, but I still have income coming in. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, that's not the case. And mm-hmm. I mean, we have to, they have to survive. I mean, what are they doing? But $1,200 is not enough to, to get them through another month. Never mind this month. But you send, like in Georgia, they're starting to open things up and nobody's going out. <laughs> so you can send those workers back to work. But if demand isn't there, yeah, yeah. right? If you have an economy that's based on consumerism and there are no consumers because they're afraid to go out, what do you do? You have a very traumatized population now who are afraid. Why are they traumatized? The media. This is let's can we rant on the media? The fucking media. I I do think there's a. I do think that that I mean a lot of people died and they died fast. And there is something a little. I mean, flu. It's like you don't really hear about or you do, but then it's sort of it's spread across four, five, six months, right? Here you have people, you you turn on the news and it's like, that guy's gone, that guy's gone, that guy's gone. Like three members of one family gone like that. So, I mean, I do think that it's like, there's a little bit of reality in terms of the virus. I, I, I think there's reality. I, I'm not trying to, the virus is not the flu. It obviously comes on a lot stronger, although we're not sure about the death rate. I think the death rate could end up being somewhere near the flu. I mean, I just saw a statistic. The low, it was the lowest number of people who died in the flu in like forever, 24,000. Oh, I wonder why that is. You know, last year was eight, two years ago, it was 80,000 people died from the flu. This year it's 24,000. So we're not measuring these numbers accurately. We don't, we don't know enough. Um, that's not to say, we, look, we had to take it seriously. And we had, because there were so many unknowns, right? You have to, in a sense, overreact to a mm-hmm. situation. That's the best right strategy right but now we have more information we we know in some way we did overreact maybe not in new york city but there was there was a general like okay maybe we, we overreacted a little bit that was still the right thing to do but now we're here so what what do we do i think the first thing is yeah i think the media's got to stop pumping out this fear it's non-stop this and this is really what i wanted to talk to you about what did you make of this whole thing with the bleach that Trump said that people need to drink bleach because I'll tell you, it triggered something so deep inside me. Triggered that he said it or the response? The response. The oh. response. And I, 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 I tweeted something out the day previous. Basically, uh, getting a lot of calls from my liberal friends, extremely concerned about the insanity of the left which is true. I'm, mm-hmm. my, some of my liberal friends are, are, are calling me up because I'm a safe space for them mm-hmm. saying, um, I, I'm starting to see your point. Like, mm-hmm. I think the left has gone mad. What mm-hmm. the fuck is going on? Biden? I'm like, 
You know, I'm like, I told you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't like Trump. You know, that's what they're saying. It's like, that's okay. You know, you don't have to get on the Trump bandwagon, but they're starting to see it. So I tweeted it out. I had one friend just come after me. You know, a guy that I love is really close and basically end the relationship and in oh. some level. Like, I guess this is it tweet? for now. What I just said, like that I'm getting calls from my liberal friends who oh, are concerned the about the, the, that was the tweet that he he responded to. You know, and obviously the reaction was, what about the insanity of Trump? And it's like, okay, well, that's not what I'm talking about, but okay. And it devolved into that. And then the whole bleach thing, and there's people that I know and love, like like Caitlin Flanagan and Paul Bloom. These are people, I don't know them, but they're on Twitter and I love them. I love their writing. I love their thinking. I listen to podcasts. And they're just 100% convinced. Like they really honestly believe that Trump said people should drink bleach, Lysol. Like that's a thing that they think that he actually said. Now, I'm open to the idea that he misspoke and it's irresponsible and he's got to be careful about what he says. Obviously, he didn't mean that, but he needs to be careful and, you know, but that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is (laughs) that they believe that he actually was suggesting that drinking bleach in ingesting Lysol might be a cure for COVID-19. And so in my mind, it's like, how dumb do you think that he actually is? I understand you think he's really dumb, but that's like a kind of like a 70 IQ person. And if he's, if he's that dumb, if you really honestly believe he's that dumb, if we take that logic all the way and you couldn't beat him and it looks like you may not be able to beat him again, then, then how dumb are you? It doesn't, it doesn't hold up as an argument that he's that stupid or that insane. And then of course, when you look at the the video that was circulating um, of this uh, technology, which is a real technology that's being developed at Cedar sinai where they take a light and you ingest yeah, the, the light. light. Yeah, the yeah, light yeah. works as yeah, a yeah. disinfectant and goes into the lungs. <laughs> this is all what he said. And he got a little mixed up, but this was what he was clearly referring to. Somebody had briefed him on it. And it goes into the lungs and it kills the coronavirus, this light therapy. And of course, you know, people hear light therapy and Trump Trump talking about light therapy and it sounds crazy. And then he says disinfectant and, you know, they go crazy with it. But it's like the irresponsibility. Why don't you just put up your hand and say, "Uh, excuse me, Mr. President, I heard you say uh, disinfectant and ingest. I I assume you're not talking about household cleaner. Like, just clear it up. But no, you're going to take that information. You're going to go out. You're going to tweet it all over. And then a bunch of people are going to buy into it. And it just makes me sad because that's the reality that they're living in. I'm living in a completely different reality. I'm open to the arguments that Trump, if you think he's a bad president or you think he's irresponsible, I'm open to all of those arguments. But if you really think that he said that, I don't know where, how to connect with you and the pain of the disconnection. But are you can well? Yeah, I guess the argument isn't about what they really, what they actually think. I think it's it's opportunity. I mean, he he threw him that one. He threw yeah, him. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Off. Look. Fair I, enough. Fair not enough. Intentionally, I think fair. you know. I don't. <laughs> but I don't no, think it's but the, but it's fine. It's fine if Jim Acosta is going to do that because it's like that's what Jim Acosta does. I'm not talking about Jim Acosta or Vox or the particular players who are going to always find take the bait and use it right for their own political purposes i'm talking about caitlin flanagan and sam harris and paul bloom these are highly the the intelligentsia of the country who should be more responsible but who literally 
think that that's no i no I, I i know that's what they think they don't think he misspoke they think that's what he meant they're explicit in saying that and so and so their theory is that he what that he wants to kill people in saying that that that's no he's just no in- he's just that stupid like he's an oh, insane he's person like he's a crazy person like he's a person that actually takes in information and he's saying, and then it goes, oh, well, maybe maybe you just ingest with Lysol, and that'll because that if you read the articles that were written, and articles that they were sharing, you would come away with the impression that he lit like literally said, use the words that you should drink bleach, and so that is, I it, there's something and there's been incidents like this before, but there was something about this one. And maybe because the thing that was going on with my friend and maybe because I've come out a little bit more on Twitter with, you know, my belief systems around all this that, but the, the, it triggered this deep pain of disconnection. Mm-hmm. Like it was mm-hmm. scary to me. And, you know, it's, it's, and it feels like how I grew up, there was some, there was kind of this madness and I could see this is, you know, I'd raise my hand. I'm like, that's not what's going on. That's not right. true. And then it, I was told that I was wrong or I was bad right. for seeing what I saw. Right. And then I got to keep myself small. And there's this rage and pain and loneliness. And all yeah. of that is getting triggered inside me. And yesterday, I literally had a three-hour episode where I was, I, I don't know what was going on. I was completely regressed. I couldn't do anything. I was just mm-hmm. overcome with this intense anxiety. There was a part of my brain that knew it. It's like, yeah, you're triggered. You're, you're, you're deep in your history and has something to do with all this. Um, so I know like in a way I'm, I'm in, I'm in my history, but there's also a way like I'm actually, I'm also in reality because it's like, this is a situation where I've just lost connection with a friend. That's, that's real. That's not a trigger. Well, I think that, I mean, I think the, you know, the wounding there is if I, if I, if I stay in what I believe to be true, I will lose connection. Yeah. And to the extent that I'm dependent on other to stay with me. I will suffer in that my truth or their truth. Like, uh, what do I do here? And then there's literally the madness that forms from being gaslit. I mean, that's a form of gaslighting in that. And so, I mean, the only way through that is to be willing to stand alone in your truth, in what's true for you. Yeah. And to, and to know that if, if that other person needs to stand in that truth, that he intentionally did that, or he's that dumb, it's like, okay. And then if that ends the relationship, you know, you have to kind of sit in the pain of that. But it's not, this is the thing. They're not dumb people. That, that, and this is the other question I wanted to ask you because I was thinking about this. They, like, you know, you hear this expression, Trump derangement syndrome, and it's used in a pejorative way and to mock people. But I actually think there's something to it. I, I, I think that the people were traumatized, legitimately traumatized by the election of Trump. I think it was such a... Uh, a shattering of reality for them, that it was traumatic, that there was a disassociation, that there was a denial, right? A resistance formed against this truth. And there's all kinds of pain and fear that is being evoked. Like there's a, it's a real trauma response. And so that when I hear people that I are generally intelligent, the most intelligent people in the country, some of them, buying into the Trump, you know, suggested people drink bleach, I I can only assume that they're traumatized. Like there's some form of, like they've been traumatized by this election 
And maybe, because this is my whole theory, what Trump represents in some way, it, you know, he's the reality show president. And it's it's not like he came in and turned it into a reality show. It's always been a reality show. He's just exposing it for what it actually is. And that's the thing that is traumatic, right? Our illusions about politics and about the media are being shattered in front of our eyes. And there's those of us who've seen it in advance, and, and I can say for me, it was painful. It still is painful when you start to see the lies that are baked into these institutions and people that you know and trust realizing they're living out of delusion, that, that there's literally Anderson Cooper thinks he's capable of objective reporting. <laughs> like it's, it's it, which is, not. you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's okay that you're not objective, dude, but like to pretend that you're capable of rising above your own bias is insanity. Nobody is, which is why in some way Fox News in their craziness early on became the most honest, mm -hmm. right? Where everyone else was still pretending. And so now it's like, I feel like that's what Trump has exposed this game and that we're all in it to try to get attention. And it's just pro wrestling. It's just pro wrestling. And this is the other thing that I tweeted out, which is sort of a stolen idea, but it, um, people are starting to understand. It's that moment in time when everyone's like, we all know pro wrestling is fake. It's fake. And then they admitted it. It's like, okay, yeah, it's fake. And then everyone's like, it's okay. We still like pro wrestling. Pro wrestling got even more popular and it became more fun. And I feel like we're at that moment with politics and the media. It's like, dude, everybody knows this is fake. Everybody turns on CNN, the vast majority of people, and they know it's just a show. They, they're watching it to enjoy it. I don't know and, if they know it's a well, show. Well, maybe, maybe, no, they don't, they don't all know, but a lot of people do. A lot of people are starting to see it and, and they're not, they're, they're not people saying, oh no, Fox is real and CNN is bullshit. They're like, no, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Yeah, New York I times is bullshit. Breitbart is bullshit. And when I say bullshit, I don't mean it's, it's bullshit, but it's like, it's, they have an agenda. They have a bias. This idea that there is somehow objective reporting out there. That is something that is in the past. That is a fantasy that no longer exists. And I think a lot of people, and, and this fantasy about our president being this moral icon, which was always bullshit. I mean, look at John F. Kennedy. Look at all this fucking history of the presidents. They're all psychos. And, and maybe that comes with power. The kind of person that wants to be president is going to have some dark shadow. I think Obama's got it. I think he hides it particularly well. But he's got tons of psychopathic qualities. And with Trump, it's just, he just wears it out in the open. He doesn't give a shit. And there's something that's being exposed that is very hard for some people. It's hard for me to come to terms with. And I feel like i am been thinking about this stuff for a long time, but for people who haven't been, I think they're, they're traumatized. I think it's like Neo in the matrix where he shows him what the fucking matrix is. And he comes out of, he's just like, ah, he's like, he's lost his mind. I, that's what I see going on. Am I crazy? Well, that's a, that's a separate question. <laughs> well, I know I'm um, crazy, but no, you're not. But I mean, I guess that I, I clarify. Guess, yeah, clarify. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I need to clarify. It's more just, I guess, the way that I think I, I understand it at this point is twofold. One, populism threatens the the privileged class. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. And I would say populism could also be just like the sim sim simplicity of Trump, like the sort of simpleton mm -hmm. aspect mm -hmm. of him, like a certain lack of sophistication, a certain kind of um, 
I don't know. Uh, which I, I at times find refreshing, frankly. But um, so I think that I think that that's frightening that priv- people's privilege are, is is being threatened. Whatever side of the coin, you know, whatever party you're in, there's privilege on both sides, right? To a great extent. So I think that's the first thing. And then I think the other thing is that, you know, we've we've deferred personal responsibility to leaders who make yeah. us feel like daddy's going to take care of it, you know, or, you know, somebody's, you know, the, the, you know, I, I don't know. And I think that what we're, what we're kind of witnessing is this idea of like, they're not going to save you like that. They don't have the answer. And in fact, they're making it worse. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's, what's being shattered is the illusion yeah. of, being, of being taken care of. Yeah. And every, you know, and the, the things that people are willing to, to look away, like the, to look away at certain behaviors because of the, that kind of good daddy, whether it's Clinton or JFK right, or anyone right. else, right? And I just think that that's what we're awakening to, and that's a good thing. Because to awaken to your notion of like, and that's what I think is interesting about the virus. At the end of the day, it's people's personal responsibility. It's like, yeah. do I decide to go outside? Do I decide to wash my hands? Do I decide to not cough on someone? Do I decide to stay home if I'm sick? Like, it's on you, you being me, you, all of that. That's a very different sort of, there's something Trump or Obama or Bush could say that would change at the end of the day that that's the decision you've got to make for yourself. And so that's a new way of being here. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. That makes a lot of. I feel, I feel that energy of like you're on your own. You can't trust these people, and I, I want them to have as little power as possible, it's centralized power. And I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and one of the things that I hope is a result of this whole coronavirus things is that we come back into communities, like smaller communities. And you hear this, you know, the word mm-hmm. decentralization, you hear it in terms of Bitcoin and the blockchain, but just as a concept and, and certainly globalization, it seems like is going to take a hit because of the coronavirus that we can't have our, you know, manufacturing chains going back to China. We've got to, we've got to bring it locally. And I wonder if that uh, whole concept is going to take across the board and that, because I feel I'm up here in a small town. Right, I live in a small town. It's, it's thirty five hundred people, and I can feel this place where it's like I don't, I don't, I don't need Gavin Newsom in California or Donald Trump in Washington to come and help me out. Yeah, if there's a massive fire and a tragedy, you know, yeah, help us out. But otherwise, we'll handle it. We'll handle it. We're fine. We got a little community here. We'll work it out among ourselves. And somehow it feels more sane and more mm-hmm. real. I mean, I remember driving my motorcycle through. Uh, Montana. It was the first time I ever conceived of the uh, c- kind of the rationale of uh, the guns rights activists and of conservatives in general. Um, you know, because it's a big state, and I was driving through it for a couple of days and stopping in towns. You start to get the feel of things, and I remember thinking, "Man, if I lived here, I wouldn't want some Princeton grad liberal senator telling me how to live." I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> or even a conservative. I don't care who you are. I'm out here in Montana. You've probably never been here. You don't know how I live. You can't tell me what gun I can or cannot own. I mean, I really felt I felt the energy of that and the rightness of it. It was the first time in my life that I'd felt that. It felt good to to feel that. 
I'm also very sympathetic to people, you know, when they see a mass shooting and it's like, what the fuck are we doing? How, how can you walk into a store and how can an 18 year old buy an AR-15? Yeah, I'm sympathetic to that as well. But, but there's something about this. Uh, and I like that Trump is basically saying, you know, to the states, at least in terms of the decisions, you're on your own. Right. But I think, I mean, this goes back to literally the founding of the country where you had literally the fact there are founders like John Adams who believe that man's impulses needed to be controlled because they had, otherwise they would be Lord of the flies. Right. And then Jefferson came in and said, man, doesn't man can control his own impulses. You, he needs free, you know, he needs the freedom mm-hmm. to be able to, and they, and, and so it's like, it's not just, I mean, yes, I do think there's, I want to control you or I want power, but I also think there's probably some belief that impulse that that sort of people need to be reined in and that they don't know any better they don't you know all the that it, unless they're controlled their impulses will get the best of them and then it'll lead to some kind of anarchy in the system and so it has to be contained right and we know this in core that well you know, that's what the we, church is for isn't it isn't that why we have churches to rein in the the base impulse of human beings uh, originally yeah i mean sure I mean, but I guess my, my point is, is that I'm not sure it's all conscious in the sense of power grab. I think there's a conscious power. No, I don't grab, think it's conscious. No, but I think underneath it, there is a, and it's projection, right? Because if mm-hmm. you're assuming others can't contain their impulses, you must know that you can't contain your own. <laughs> right. 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 So I think it's just, and that goes, that lends to why people need to do their own work. Because if you can find that sweet spot between your impulses and your ego, which can contain it, then you can pretty much function the world fairly well as a, as a fellow citizen. But none of us are done, not none of us, we haven't really done that work as a society, right? No, we haven't. I mean, I think there's more and more people who are doing it. There's more and more people becoming conscious about I, you know, I say that and then I go on Twitter and I just see it's just mass projection everywhere you go. Nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. For right. But I think, they think, right. So if you, if you, if you put that on the two sides of this, which is like, let me be free, right. Let me do whatever I want. And then you have the other side that's like, no, we're going to lock you down in, in a, in your mm-hmm. house for whatever. Yeah. It's a great example of like, Either we have to be in compulsive ego control or we're in pure impulsivity right. and freedom. Right. And it's like I see what you're neither, saying. Neither one of those are, are right. It's, it's that yeah. spot in the middle where we have capacity to hold both. Some yeah. level of containment and control. Yeah. And, and so it's perfect. That's what I'm, that's kind of what I, how I feel about the people who are like, no, we have to stay home. We have to stay home. We have to protect it. Okay. I'm, fair enough. But then you also need people in Encinitas protesting. Fuck this. No, I want to be free. Like it, it, you need both energies, and ultimately we're going to settle somewhere. But that's in the where that's where a responsible media could be. Such a, <laughs> there's no incentive. That's resource. the problem for know, them to be responsible. There, there's zero that, incentive economically. But imagine, but imagine if that if that narrative, if that sort of idea of like, well, the, yeah, no, I imagine. But the the good news is is that i think i think joe rogan is somebody who seems to be open i mean he interviews everybody and he's he's pretty much down the middle as far as i can tell um and maybe you don't like joe rogan but there's there's other people out there like him but it's more what he represents this guy has more power and influence maybe not uh, maybe not power and influence exactly in in the structural realm but he's going to very soon he certainly has more viewers and more influence 
direct influence than anybody on CNN. I mean, just statistically speaking, the amount of downloads that he gets on his podcast, the amount of people who are listening or watching him on YouTube, it's unbelievable. Who's his so, audience? His audience is probably mostly guys like me, males mm -hmm. from, you know, probably 25 to 55. Mm -hmm. But he gets in all of the major intellectual thinkers in the country and has, you know, long form debates about complicated issues. And he'll have people from the right, he'll have people from the left. I mean, he's, he's open to all of it. That is the one place, uh, and there's probably others, but that's the one place where that's happening. And it's the most popular podcast. So that is heartening to see mm -hmm. that. And I think that is what's happening. New media is rising up and, and maybe not, it's not has, it doesn't have the institutional power, right? Cause it's not embedded with it, but I think very soon it will. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, she'd been on the Joe Rogan, uh, podcast twice. And I think she's going to be a major player in 2024. I think this run for her was, uh, here I am. Hi, you know, I'm only 38, but I'll be 42 next time. And look at me. And uh, he loves her. I mean, her and Eric Weinstein, they were saying, who would you like to have in charge? Because they were both lamenting that Trump was in charge. And they both said, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. She seems really sensible. She should probably handle this really well. And I was like, holy shit. So if Joe Rogan, four years from now, is on his podcast interviewing her and promoting her, well, that that's going to have a massive impact a lot more maybe four years from now than what CNN would have. Cause you know, right now, and I think that's what, ha one of the things that happened with the election of Trump is that the mainstream media realized they're no longer the kingmaker. They have no power over anything. They did everything they can to stop this guy from getting elected and he still got elected. And that feeling of, holy shit, we don't have control anymore. We don't have this influence. That had to be scary for them and their, their own sense of relevance. Well, that's what I was saying about, you know, yeah, exactly. And so now you see them, of course they want to censor the internet because that's their competition. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's who's kicking their ass, you know? So, um, I think you're seeing, that's where the, the, you're seeing these power grabs right now. Um, and what do you think about Bill Gates? I mean, this is, to me, this is crazy. This guy sits up there smug. I mean, look, I don't have any problem with Bill Gates. I think he does a lot of great things in the world, obviously through his foundation. But we're not going to return to normal. This is the thing he said. We're not going to return to normal until everybody's vaccinated. Well, first of all, we don't even know that there's going to be a vaccination. Second of all, dude, do you mind running that by me? How about take a poll? See if people are down with that. You don't just sit up on your throne and fucking tell people what reality is going to be. I mean, it's un the, the ego that this guy has. It's unbelievable. And he, then he doesn't understand why he's hated. Well, it, his ego is only, only sort of relevant if he's got people who's listen, who are listening to him and who will take his money. Right? <laughs> well, everybody's going to take his money. Right. That's, so, that's why I people think, are listening to him. He but writes again, big I, checks to the World Health Organization and other right. people. But I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, which is this notion of like real, real personal responsibility. And right. responsibility is not just in your actions. It's choosing to, to inform yourself. It's choosing to have sort of an, a, a more open mind. It's choosing to tolerate some level of complexity, right? What do, you, what do you think about this idea? I mean, you brought it up, you know, personal responsibility, but it's also what people are saying is, no, you need to stay home so, so I don't get sick. It's not just for you. And it's the same, it's the same argument with the vaccine. You need to get the vaccine so all of us are safe. So all of the children are safe. 
this is where it gets really complicated. It's like, so I have to sacrifice my personal liberty. I have to take this vaccine. I don't know what the fuck is in it. I know you're telling me it's safe, but if I, you know, you guys get a lot of shit wrong. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, and a lot of these I, studies are corrupted. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure va vaccines are a net good for society, but it's, I got to take this thing for you. It does something I can, I feel the part in me where it's just like, I'm not getting any goddamn fucking vaccine. It's, it's a, when I was a lobbyist, I worked on vaccines and it was, we would meet, you know, with, with different entities, populations that wanted an exemption from, from, you know, mandatory yeah. vaccination or other. And it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's really complicated. Yeah. It's, it's I feel really, I mean, talk about having ownership of your body. Right. 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 So, and choice, right? Choice. Yeah. And you know, the way that that kind of gets navigated is like, well, but your choice is affecting everybody, right? Your choice not to vaccinate affects everyone. Your other choices may only affect you and your, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, um, so there's ways to massage that argument around choice and body, but, uh, it's, 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 um, it's tricky. And I do think that, that it's also driven by fear. And I do think it's, it's, there's, there's a, um, it's, it's not as simple as a power grab with vaccination. I, I mean, I think there's a money grab with vaccination. Oh, right? for sure. Right. But I don't, I think at a, at a, at a grassroots level, I think it's complicated. I think it, it just has a lot of different tentacles around, uh, belief systems, you know, whether that's religious or, well, I'm, or you know, it, I, I'm, yeah, I'm open to, it's like you have a kid and some other kids not vaccinated and that kid gives your kid the disease and the kid dies. Yeah. You're going to be pissed off. Why the fuck didn't you get the vaccine? On the other hand, these are not anecdotal stories. People, kids are getting vaccines and they're getting fucked up from it. That's a thing. It's not a hundred percent safe, right? It's what, what I don't know what percentage safety it is. Ninety nine percent safe. That's still one kid out of a hundred, and maybe it's one kid out of a thousand that is having some real problem. Well, I also and, think, and, I mean, but if that's your fucking kid, I, but I also think it's a bigger question about uh, risk and our tolerance for risk, which has decreased significantly, right? So when I was a kid, my parents took us to like places that would be deemed abuse, <laughs> like the jungles of Venezuela. And like, we'd come home and we'd have like worms. And you know, my dad would be like, listen, you're building up some gut strength. Like yeah, you're building up that's what my mom or, always like, told us. Like, old in the dirt. And now you've got kids with, who are using so much hand sanitizer, so much, so much stuff that they're getting sick all the time now. Right. You're yeah. not out. So I, I don't, I'm not saying I'm for or against sort of, the vaccine issue but what i'm saying is that like we have to be attentive to like what's the out what are some of the secondary outcomes of this stuff it's interesting to me too the the whole situation with china it, what was it 98 percent of our medicine is made there or mm -hmm. some kinds of medicine a lot of our medicine and it you know people when people heard that what it, that makes no sense yeah so it, it's interesting to see it'll be, to see what's going to happen with all of that, this, you know, this whole idea of globalization and the fact that the EU completely dropped the ball with Italy and Spain. I mean, they're like, well, we've had it with you fucking guys. We want out. We're like right behind Britain. You guys did shit for us. And, uh, and have you heard from the UN and all this? The UN's done nothing. 
And the World Health Organization, it's just, no, no, it's, it's not no human-to-human -human transmission. Oh, okay, sorry. No, there is human-to-human, -human, but it's not, it's not that uh, contagious. Okay, actually, it's contagious, but no, it's fine. International flights, no problem. I mean, they were wrong every step of the way. And then the whole well, thing with the mask, I understand, I understand. But I'm just saying, you can make excuses for them. You can rationalize it. Nevertheless, that's their job. They got it wrong. And then the big one for me was the masks. Now, I understand why they told us not to wear masks. I understand they didn't want people hoarding them. They weren't enough for the medical people. I get it. But when you tell us, you, you lie, you flat out lie to our faces and say, no, you don't need them. They don't work. And then a month later, you say, no, actually, everybody's got to be wearing a mask. Well, that's it. It's a, We're done. Like, your credibility is lost with me. I don't know what's coming out of your mouth next. You're fired. You know? And it's like, and then they want to keep saying to us, you got to listen to the experts. Why would I listen to the experts? And these models, the, all the models were wrong. Now, I listened to Scott Adams. He, he worked in... Uh, at a bank, and he said, this was really interesting to me, models are not there to prove anything. They're, well, they're what they, no, that's not true. They're not there to predict anything. They're there to prove a bias. So it's like, if you're doing an economic model, you have an instinct of what you think the economy is gonna do. And you all sit in a room, you agree on it. And then you tell somebody to go make a model that's going to reflect what we're talking about so that we can go out and sell whatever it is we're trying to sell to people. And you plug in whatever numbers you have to plug in to create this mathematical model to get the result that you want. That's how these models work. That's how the climate change models work. And that's how these COVID-19 models work. That's not science. And this well, has to be, this has to be exposed. I mean, these models were complete. And this, I'm just saying like people are looking at this shit. They're being told 2 million people are going to die. And, and 50,000 people are dead. Do you, understand, do you understand that the average person's gonna be like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, I think it'd be helpful to just put data out rather than models. Right. Right, because data is, data is real time. Data is, you know, it's, it's numbers, it's facts. It's sort of, this is what is happening in this moment. Models are projections of what could be if we do that, if we don't do that, right? And then you've got a very afraid population. And when you're afraid, by the way, especially around health, you're at something like, I was in a, a part of a study once that looked at, at, when it comes to health information, we learn at a sixth grade reading level. That's the level we're at because we're in such a fear response when it yeah, comes to our yeah. own health that our capacity for understanding complex ideas are not there. Yeah. So not only are you not presenting data, you're presenting projections that are, to your point, biased towards an idea, right? That mm -hmm. are never positive, never, they don't help the case that it's not positive. And then you've got a very fearful population who's taking that in, who doesn't have the capacity to sort of sort through, yeah. right? Not because they're not capable, but like literally in their response, they can't. So what do you think that lends to? Yeah. It kind of lends to hoarding toilet paper and hoarding masks. <laughs> and it makes I know, sense. I know, I know, I know, I know. And you know what, if I was running things, I... <laughs> You know, I'm not saying I'd be doing any better. It's it's probably an impossible task. I guess I guess the way I I was raised by a, a, a diagnostician, and so he my dad taught us like you got to know what the questions are before you start looking for answers. Like you've got to figure out like what are the questions here. And mm -hmm. so as mm -hmm. I have the privilege because I'm in a safe space and I yeah. have my job still, like I have the privilege to sit back and say what are the questions here. Like what, what, and I, I'm, 
I'm trying to figure that out. I don't, I don't know if I totally know yet. I know that, I know that crisis happens when there's too much contradiction of the truth. I know that eventually the system erupts and says, right. we can't whistle past this anymore. And so yeah. I'm aware enough that this is maybe a, a moment of saying, we got we to gotta move towards something that's more true, whatever that truth is. I sense that crisis kind of exposes darkness in a system and that's what's happening. Like, yeah. I believe that. Um, I believe that there's some level about personal responsibility here and not deferring to experts and leaders. I mean, we need people that have studied this and have knowledge. We need that. It's not, yes, of they're, course. they're relevant, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I'm responsible for taking that information, sifting through what feels right, true for me, and then taking an action in service of myself and my community. And it's like, do we have the capacity to do that? I don't know. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm I'm trying to be more in what the questions are. I don't necessarily know if I have any. I don't know if there are any answers, but I don't necessarily know if I have any. Well, it's I, I think we're in the fog of war. Yes. We're in the middle of this thing. There's right. no way anybody can really accurately assess the situation. We're not going to know for years. And we don't have enough information. We don't have enough data. So, right. And so in... in, in in that case, I understand the stay-at-home people. It's like, we don't know anything. Right. So let's just stay at home. Right. But that's just not my instinct, right? Like, I, I have an instinct on a, some kind of primal level. If there was fear out in the woods and there's a bear out there, it's I'm not locking down. It's a, eventually, I'm going to go out and... I'm going to kill this fucking bear. What am I staying here forever? I'm going to go out and face well, the bear. Well, you might die, but what am I going to stay here forever? Right. You know, that's my instinct. I understand right. other people have other instincts, but well, I'm not staying locked up forever. That's just not the way I would point. do it. And I think I saw, maybe you sent it to me. Someone, someone sent it to me about, you know, we, we are on defense. Like right. we're, we're responding to this crisis on defense. And what would an, what would an offensive strategy <laughs> right. look like? Right. Like, what, what would Bill, Bill Belichick, Belichick do? do? Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it would, everybody would be like, what is he doing? That makes exactly. no sense. And he was like, I've oh, run the numbers. Although yeah. Belichick doesn't always run the numbers. I mean, that timeout that he should have called in that game That's against true. Seattle, when they asked him about it, he's like, oh, I just, I don't know. I had an instinct. He should, everyone's like, why is he call a time? Why is he to call it? And the guy's like, remember the assistant coach was looking at him? And he was yeah. just like, he didn't say anything. He just yeah. sat there watch and then interception they won that was one of the most remarkable moments so that guy's some kind of genius obviously intuitive genius but, but yeah is, what would I belichick do, do i do i do think that um and i think that's what what i've what i thought where i thought trump was going when he initially talked about this being a battle this being a war i'm a war right. president it's like well then play offense like yeah. what does offense look like? And I don't, I don't, maybe it looks like bringing a vaccine to market really fast. Maybe it looks like, you know, loosening regulations with the FDA so that things can come to market. I don't think that's worked well because now there's all this shit product in the market, but I, I, it's like, what would, what, you know, what is, what does, what would playing offense on an individual level look like? Well, I think my perception of Trump is he's a rah, rah guy. He's like, stay positive. And so he's always looking for the positive in anything. He doesn't want to go negative. He doesn't want to spread fear. And obviously that's, you know, the, the media is, is going to call that out every time because they're all about fear. And I think he's a little beaten down by it. That's, that's what I get. Uh, he's for, I mean, this, he had a little clip with Yahoo news today. 
<laughs> where they they were wrong about something and uh what's her name the, the what's her name the female doctor that's always with them uh uh Burks. yeah she was you know clarifying the numbers and uh trump just laid into the yahoo guys like yeah you guys were fucking wrong you gotta apologize you gotta apologize you guys were fucking and you can see he's fed up um, so I think he's angry. It's unfortunate. I mean, he should probably stop doing these press conferences. I mean, he gets a lot of juice out of it, but, um, you know, cause the hydro hydrochloroquine situation, you know, like doctors are using it all over the place. That's the truth. I mean, people can, the press can say whatever they want. I listened to all these different reports. Doctors are using it with zinc. It's effective. They, it, there's very little side effect. They're taking, you know, it's, it's fine. So, but you know, he said all that shit, he got hammered for it. And they say, oh, there's this study and it's, it's all bullshit. It's all fucking bullshit. And so I, I think he's a little bit, he thought maybe that in this crisis moment that he would get some love and appreciation, but he's, he's getting shit. And I'm not going to say that he doesn't create his own reality here. Like he's, you know, he's responsible for what he's getting. You know, he's a dick. There's no question. But, um, it's a little disconcerting just to see the press just try to gotcha question day in, day out. I don't know. It would wear on me. But I, again, I'm not saying he's, I don't want to make him out to be the victim because he, he sets himself up for it. He likes the conflict, but there's something. Well, who's the real victim here? The I mean. It's it, the people, the American the, people. Right. You know, although, but this is what we like. I mean, they're tuning in. So, I mean, he's giving them, the plat they're giving them a show. It's another yeah, show every I day. Guess, I guess what I worry about is that, like, and there are certainly populations who will say this has always been real in terms of the, the impact that decisions have on people. But yeah. these decisions now, whether it's the media or Trump or anybody else, are having real-time impact on, on everybody. And it's, it, it's, it, it has a bigger consequence now than maybe it did before. And I don't know if people want to be in the game. I don't, I don't think anyone I feels, I, I think that, I think it's too much responsibility. I, well, I think it's like, it's, it really feels live or die for people. Yeah. And the game is a luxury at that point, right, at right. that point, you know, and I, I personally, I'm just desperate for sort of some, but maybe, know, you know, you look back at these war generals, you know, I read history and it's all a game. World War One. Churchill loved it. I mean, you read about Churchill, it was just all a game to him. He was so sad well, when it was over. I I'm telling you. I think we romanticize sort of. I'm just, I'm just saying throughout history, this whole idea, you know, war has been, a, was a game for the elites. You know, the, the, the king would sit up there on the side of the hill and he'd have his, cigar and his tea and he'd, he'd watch the battlefield and a bunch of guys killing each other. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm not, maybe it's a cynical point of view, but I, maybe it's always been a game and there's no way out of it. This is just how we do it, what we do. I mean, you know, it's like when people say they get into relationships, like, I don't want to play games. It's like, yeah, good luck with that. It's nothing but a game. Well, there's a lot of charge in game and chip. Yeah. Right. And we want to feel alive. So if we feel alive, through negative pleasure, then let's have a war. <laughs> but I hear, I hear your point. There are life and death 
decisions that are being made. Yeah. And, and the bullshit that, yeah, that the both bullshit. the president and the press are yes. engaging in is dangerous yes. and irresponsible. Yes. I have yelled at the TV many a time saying like, like you are, you are killing people by what you're doing. Yeah. Like you like get your shit together and, and get on the same team and you don't have to agree, but like, this is not your opportunity to shine. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, and the death ticker on CNN is horrific. And the death, it's, I think MSNBC they have a death CNN, ticker. I don't want to see Oh my God. And from a mental health standpoint, I, my sense is that the trauma of that, that's traumatizing to see it like this, this, uh, and there's, you know, I get sort of wanting to make it real for people. So they understand, so they don't get complacent or they don't forget that this is happening. I don't know how they could, but there's something very, uh, just, I don't know. It's, I don't even it think they feels a little like, you know, future generations will look back and go, they had a death ticker the way we look back and go, they had public executions. <laughs> like it, it just, when you say death ticker, it, I mean, I'm calling doesn't it that feel good. It just has on the right. Like every time there's another. Yeah. And that know. doesn't, it doesn't, it's also, it's, it's ridiculous because we know that we're not counting these deaths accurately. Well, that's a separate issue. I know, but if you know that you're not counting the deaths accurately exactly, don't have a death ticker. It's e even the uh, Johns Hopkins website where they have, oh no, that's the kind of the website where they, they have a death ticker and it's obviously very comprehensive because it's worldwide. So it's a map of the world. And then they have the areas in red where the virus is, but it's completely <laughs> disproportionate. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it makes it look like the world is on completely on fire. Like mm -hmm. if you look at this map, you're like, oh my God, it's terrifying. So it's just things like that psychologically. And even the word social distancing or the phrase, is that a healthy framing? I think social okay. I distancing. Think, what about think, physical distancing? Yeah, I think people are trying to move away from the social piece and into the physical piece because that's that's more the truth. Yeah, social distancing. It's not. Yeah, it's all that little stuff is. It's meaningful. No, I agree. No, I agree. I'm and scared I, that we're we're the, the, of the long term social ramifications. I mean, I go on my hikes here, and you know, I cross one or two people. And there's always this, you know, usually just cross, eh, how you doing? Now, because nobody's on a, wearing a mask. Well, occasionally somebody on the hike is wearing a mask, but we're out in open nature. Nobody really cares. But there's this moment where we're like, somebody climbs up the side of the hill, so we're six feet away, so they can pass, and people are kind of acknowledging each other, but not afraid to make eye contact. I don't know. It's weird. And I'm just concerned that that's going to continue indefinitely. It are you concerned about that? Um I'm not concerned about it in the long run. I think people are, I think people just do weird shit when they're afraid. <laughs> so I think that we're all afraid and we're all kind of being, um, not brainwashed, what's the right word, but our nervous system is adjusting to right. this idea that other people are threatening. And yeah. so we're starting to live that out in real time. Yeah, other people are threatening, exactly. Yeah, people now are a threat. 
like people, even, you know, even I said to my mom, I was like, do you want me to come up to Boston to be with you for Mother's Day? And she's like, nope, it's not, you know, even like, I'm like, well, my mother shouldn't see me as a threat, but I'm a threat, you know? And like, that's kind of like, that's what I worry about is, is sort of, you know, if we want to create community and we need each other, then yeah. we need to not see each other as potential existential threats. But, but I also, I also believe, um, I remember being at a meeting in Brazil with all these like, uh, health, uh, health policy people. And they, they, we were talking about how you make healthcare decisions, how each country makes healthcare decisions. And I think it was like the Argentinian foreign minister or someone stood up and said, you know, the problem with you Americans is that you're so afraid of death that you will keep someone alive until they're like 120 years old and spend all, cause most money, most healthcare dollars go towards the last, you know, 80% yeah. of the dollars 80% go towards of the, the end dollars. of life. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, and in other countries they make very different decisions because they actually do have more of a, a, a different relationship with death. And so there is something to be said about will this, as this, as this crisis has brought us a little closer to the idea of mortality, that's a potentially a positive thing because so much of our energy goes towards staving off this inevitability of death. So much energy goes to it. But imagine what, if you could take that and channel it towards kind of just being in acceptance that that's going to happen and we don't have to do everything to avoid it. Like it just, it has the potential to be a game changer. I, I, oh, I started reading the denial of death for that reason. I'd never read that book. It's it's incredible. It's a great book. Holds up, and they go, you know, into the issue. What, where, you know, where is this denial of death come from? And they're exploring it. And I think it is a big issue. And I, I like this uh, positive death movement that you you've seen out in the country. These death salons. You've heard about that, where people get together and they talk about death, because it's insane. You know that we're so. How do we know death isn't awesome? Like we don't know that death could be the, the most amazing thing ever. And then you're, you know, you go into wherever you go and you look back and you're like, what was I so afraid of? Like we, we got to let, and also, and just economically, it makes no sense. I mean, thank God my mother's like, I don't want, she's got her whole insurance set up because she doesn't want me or my brother to have to spend a dime keeping her alive or for her funeral or any of that stuff. It's the same for me. I don't, I don't want you to spend, if I have millions of dollars, I want you to spend it on keeping me alive an extra couple mm -hmm. of years. It's like, donate that money to charity or some shit. Mm -hmm. Dude, I lived 85 years. It's okay. See ya. <laughs> you know, but there's I think some that weird, but we don't, I mean, that's not a, I think there are, a... I think there are pockets of communities in our country that very much already live that way. But uh, well, the Irish are, are, are very accepting of death. I know. Right. I, don't know I think it Italians. has, and I'm, I, I, think... I have a Irish background. That's why we're like death. Awake is a party. Right. Right. I think that, you know, so long as we think in terms of duality, you're either alive or you're dead. Yeah. And being alive, we're told, is far better than being dead, right? And death is also just surrender of the ego. And so we're so attached to our ego, the notion of losing that, whether it's our identity, our privilege, or whether it's our physical death, you know, we're, we, we can't tolerate that. It's very so confronting to challenge somebody's fear. Like the people, when people are afraid of something, they're very attached to it. And you've yeah. said, to them, Hey, you know, you don't need to need to be afraid of this. They attack they, instantly. They attack. They feel offended. They feel like you're an asshole. They feel like you're wrong. Obviously you can't, you can't tell somebody they shouldn't be afraid of the thing they're afraid of. Nevertheless, 
I, I do think I agree with you around death. It would be very helpful for society to change our relationship yeah. to it and our fear, you know, whatever this fear is around it. Well, and I think, you know, one of the, the you death know, ticker, the, <laughs> I mean, it's the right death. there. It's all right there. All right. But I mean, you know, exposure therapy, which is so much of, I think what, what the work we do is, you know, this idea of like exposing someone to that thing that they fear so much and then desensitizing yeah. them to it is, is, is an effective form of treatment for anxiety mm -hmm. in particular. So it's like, we need exposure therapy to death. You know, we need to sort of lean into the idea of it, not as a way of controlling, another way of controlling for it, because you can't, you can't, you can go the opposite, right? You can all of a sudden become mm -hmm. so positive death that suddenly you you have just as yeah. much of control over it as you did before. Yeah. And that's not healthy either. Um, but we do have to stop whistling past it. There's a, uh, a thinking that ayahuasca is a, uh, a ceremony that, that is preparing you for death because apparently when you die, DMT is released from your, is this your pituitary? Is this what this is? Whatever. It's, there's DMT. What is this gland here in your forehead? What do you call that? Third eye? Anyway, there's a gland there and it releases DMT when you die, apparently. Mm -hmm. And ayahuasca, that's what the, the compound is, DMT, that gives you these visions. And it dissolves your ego. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's the feeling you have, which is why it can be so terrifying. But once you let go and surrender to it, it's like, so there's this idea that ayahuasca is a preparation for death. And I, I got to say, I think it's true, at least for me, I feel much less afraid of death because of the, uh, all the ayahuasca ceremonies have done. Also the uh, vision quest, the four days, no food or water. I mean, you go four days out there, right. no water. By the fourth day, you're like, what the fuck, man? couple more days of this i'm dead right and you just start to surrender to it. you're like well okay you know like it's like this is just a another part of life right like you feel that it's like okay the the, yeah, this is my humanity i mean the narrative it's like so if you think of birth and death as sort of similar some very similar they're they're both yeah. transitions into a new state of consciousness we celebrate births right it's yeah. like yeah right and they say birth is actually for the a more more traumatizing of an event than death because the baby's right, like that course. coming out of the canal you're in your womb suddenly you're up oh right God. i mean that but Never the narrative the, pain of the mother right but the narrative about birth versus the narrative about death in our culture are very different so it's it's it like at the very top level it's a narrative and then it goes down to just you know just the, the ego and the, the physiological piece and the, you know, the visceral experience and the unknown of it and the psychology of the unknown. I mean, there's so many layers to us really and duality to us really having a different relationship with death. And that to me is like one of the offerings of this. I agree. And, you know, it'd be great to do something with it. The problem is nobody's going to show up. Uh, <laughs> to get people to come to a death salon to try to change people's conceptions about death it's a I, tough topic to no, sell no but i don't know if on. i would sell it as kind of i wouldn't well, you, sell it as as I, I think i think how do you anytime, sell it i think anytime you ask someone to age you're asking them mm. to lean into death you know anytime that you're um anytime you ask someone to you know end a relationship you're asking them to be right dead. right you know, anytime, you know, it's like you left Hollywood and you came, you know, it's yeah. like, that was a death. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. it's, I don't think we have to go full throttle because at the end of the day, we don't know de physical death until, yeah, we, we, don't until know. we, until we know it. 
So it's like, can we have, we die every day anyway, but can we lean into that and not resist it so much? And that's, I think the way to, um, and then we can change our policies. We can, you know, we can agree to, to sort of not sustain life to 120. Maybe we say, whatever it is, I'm saying it can show up at a more macro right. level, right. but on a day-to-day basis, it's like, what's my relationship to surrender or death or change or not getting my way or aging or losing? Because that's what death is. It's all of those things. Amy Falchuk, thank you. <laughs>